Okay, thank you very much for your practice. <clears throat> I feel that uh, this mixture of practicing and hearing about the Dharma or the, the, the teachings of the Buddha is, uh, is really a very potent mix. And uh, I'm not sure if one without the other would work as well. And so I'm saying this also to point very much towards the, 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 parf- the power of this practice of sitting and paying attention. Because sometimes we want to hear the teaching. It's very nourishing and it makes us think. And it, it's in a way lib- it can be liberating when it's well done. Uh, it can really reveal truths about our, the way we live and help us uh, become wiser. But I, I think that there's nothing as powerful as actually sitting in the middle of this heart, mind, body uh, with quality attention. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's a, that's what we call insight in this practice, is the, the sitting and having a, an experiential um, uh, making, it, making it experiential, so touching the stuff that we talk about seeing in action, in real time, what is actually happening with this mind, how it gets caught, how it gets f- to be forgetful, how, it's, uh, how it goes towards uh, you know, avoiding the present moment by creating all kinds of stories, or doing it habitually or obsessively or compulsively. Or, uh, have you seen some, some of this, how it departs a lot of the time? Like you just want to be there and whoops, you're gone in some, somewhere. Sometimes it's somewhere very clear, past, future, etc. And sometimes it's actually totally unclear. Like you come back, you can't say exactly where you were. You were just clearly not there. But it's kind of some some life that I don't know if it deserves that word. Um, you know, the being described as life <laughs> because it's uh, it's uh, some kind of no man's land. You know. And my sense, one of the things that is getting clearer for me every year with practice is that to have an experience of um, uh, non-fragmentation, to have an experience, call it as you want, an experience of freedom, an experience of happiness, of fullness, of, uh, of intimacy, of closeness with life, of, uh, of being awake, it will require minimal, minimal requirement will be presence, will be being conscious. It's, I don't think it's going to be possible to say, oh, I was so happy, I was half there. Like, that might be some kind of happiness. You're like, oh my God, my life is so difficult. I check out, and that's where I feel the best. It might be where you feel the best at that time. But still, it's, it's, it's not gold. It's more like candy. Yeah. It's, we're not talking about... It might relieve some of the suffering when I check out for a few min- minutes. But there's something that is much more much, much more uh, deeper and rich and full. Uh, and often it's described by emptiness, which is funnily enough, you know. Uh, but the fullness, it appears as a fullness of presence. And it's a mind that is uh, non-reactive, a mind that is able to meet what is happening uh, in a sane way, we could say, in a wholesome way, if that these wor- uh, words work for you. And uh, this is what we're uh, discovering, how to do this, how to go towards this in practice, but also realizing how the mind uh, creates trouble for itself. Yeah. And so today, talking about the third noble truth, um, so four noble truths, four liberating truths, four ennobling truths, the Buddha was saying, seemed to have been saying, you know, there's a lot of stuff I know about, and I talk only about a certain amount of things. Why? Because they are concerned with suffering and the end of suffering. Trouble for ourselves in our heart, dissatisfaction, confusion, uh, etc. The, the experience of it and the end of it. And the Four Noble Truths are an essential teaching around this. And basically it says... There is, first noble truth, there is trouble, there is suffering. It's not easy being a human being. The second one is the cause, there is a cause for it. It's craving or thirst, or, and we looked at this um, 
and then it got blurry again, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> as it does, you know. This life is very confusing, can be, uh, for most of us. And then the third noble truth we're touching on today is the truth of, uh, the Buddha said, there is an end possible to confusion. There can be clarity in the mind. There can be non-reactivity in the mind. It's possible, which is something important to know because the third noble truth could have been this is how it is, you know. This in this life, you're going to be troubled and uh, confused, and this there's no way out. And the Buddha was saying, actually, there is a possibility to really, uh, you know, clarify what's happening. And it's not easy, and it's doable. And if it was not doable, I would not even talk about this. To me, that's really important. Here's somebody saying, it's possible to clarify or detoxify, you could say, the heart. It's possible to do this. If it was not possible, I would not lose my time talking about it. I would just, you know, go and do something else. And so today we're talking about this, and the fourth one, the last, next time we're going to see each other, is about the path. So there is suffering, there's trouble, there's a cause to it. The end is possible. What is it like, the end? And how do we go about this? The prescription, you know, what, what do you have to... So Nibbana is Nirvana in Sanskrit, Nibbana in Pali. It's not uh, only a rock band from the 80s. <laughs> it's not also what in common culture is like, uh, you know, ah, oh, this was Nirvana, meaning it was a really good meal, or <laughs> it was a really good uh, hotel to stay in in the holiday, if that's something you do, you know, like, how was it, you know, how it was nirvana. <laughs> nirvana, in this way, in the popular culture, is described a lot as pleasure of the senses, mm-hmm. which is pretty much, I, w- I don't know if it's opposite to it. Both could, could be together at the same time. It could be really pleasant for the senses. But it's nir- the nirvana in Buddhist uh, philosophy is not related to the fact that it's comfortable or pleasant. And so that's already an important cue. Oh, so somebody very wise, so wise that millions of people are still thousands of years after, still considering the, uh, the teachings of this person, was saying, your happiness is not related to your circumstances. They might be uncomfortable. Your freedom, your uh, ease of mind is not related to the fact that there is a diagnosis or not. The fact that uh, your neighbor is like this or not. It's not. There's some inner work, certainly, that can be done to free yourself in such a radical way that you can be in circumstances that are not ideal, which is pretty much all the time. (laughs) Isn't isn't that true? (laughs) There's always a little something, you know? And if it's all together, fine. If you kind of hit that peak where all the circumstances, inwards and outwards, are all like fine, you know, like, everybody's doing fine, everybody's saying what they're supposed to say in your perfect world, and you feel perfect also about yourself and everything, that's probably going to last a few seconds. (laughs) And then somebody will say something (laughs) or not do something, or you'll have doubt that they actually mean what they just said. (laughs) And then, whoops, it's going to get rocky again, yeah? And... uh, and so Nibbana in the time of the Buddha apparently was, be, it was used, uh, the, uh, it was a verb that was used to mean cooling. Like somebody would say, hey, as the, I take this from uh, Joseph Goldstein, my teacher. So he tells this story, say, people would say that in the household, they would say, hey, as the rice Nibbana. Yeah, the rice is Nibbana, it means it's cool, we can serve it now, it's not too hot, you're not going to burn yourself, you know. And... Uh, uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa Bhikkhu was saying, you can actually, uh, sometimes Nibbana is, uh, seems like a goal that is like the goal of practice and in unreachable. And many people think, oh, Nibbana, it's only in the time of the Buddha that people would attain Nibbana, which is not a place, but uh, maybe a state of mind, an understanding, a release of something more than an acquiring of something, a release of delusion, ignorance, confusion, greed, hatred, yeah. And so, uh, uh, Buddhadasa Bhikkhu, a Thai teacher from the uh, Thai forest tradition, really um, very wise being, was saying, actually, there is momentary Nibbana. 
or there is a certain kind of cooling off of your mind that you can actually notice during the day. Oh, my, my, your level of Nibbana <laughs> goes up and down, you know? Like, you are, you're, you're pretty close to the Nibbana, like the depth of it, and then some, you know, you don't find a parking, or, you know, the metro just don't stop. <laughs> it just goes through. <laughs> and then, whoops, you know, you're lost the access to Nibbana, you know? And so that's one way we could think about this, you know. It's, the, it's about balance of mind, equilibrium in the mind, you know, non-reactivity in the mind, the capacity to be with circumstances. In this practice, a lot of what we do is developing a factor of mind that is called pliancy of mind, pliability. Is that pliancy? Is that a word? Yeah. Pliancy, pliability, malleability. A mind that is more and more maybe fluid rather than rigid. In the French culture, they have this expression of uh, psychorigide. Ah, il est psychorigide. Like, <laughs> rigid, psychologically rigid. I, I like the expression. <laughs> so like, people are like, it's like this, it's supposed to be like this, it's supposed to be always like this, and this is how it's supposed to be. You know, it's like, okay, we have a real example here of psycho-rigid mind. <laughs> and so what we uh, work at in the meditation practice is to actually make the mind more uh, pliable so that it can allow for kindergarten sounds to come in, buses sound to come in, and uh, heat to be there, and inwardly there can be a wave of doubt without one losing ground and you know there can be a wave of uh, um, uh, boredom without it triggering a bunch of like ah why did I come I shouldn't have come you know so it's, oh there's a passage of boredom you know oh, let me allow this make space for this you know when I was in the theater world that's an image that often comes to mind for me a physical image and I'm actually going to display this I am <laughs> <laughs> There was a kind of fighting we would do with the Russian teacher, and we spent hours doing this. And it was to bring a flexibility, pliability of body. And so we would fight with one another, and when somebody would put their hand like this, you would, you would do like this, and then you would knock them here, and they would go like that, like a kind of slow, like kids do. But it was actually, we would spend hours doing this just to make the body very responsive like this, you know, and knock like this and turn, and sometimes three of us and five of us, and you would be hit from all angles, slowly, you know, <laughs> but just to learn how to stay in balance while uh, having things happen that you can't control, you know, and that uh, are arriving from left field, from the back, etc. And so, in a way, that's what we do here. We sit here and we allow. Sometimes it's things that are appearing while we're sitting, but sometimes it's we're sitting here and they're appearing while we're sitting, but it's old resentment, wounds, uh, loss. You know, you sit there and, and suddenly this person re come, lands in your heart, mind, uh, and it sinks. And then what we're trying to do is to, like the Buddha, to be awake, not be entranced, you know, and lost and like, oh, memory lane, down memory lane, but being awake, like, oh, images are coming, and it comes with a collapsing inwardly, or a contraction. Let me be awake to this. Let me allow this to happen. Yeah? So, Nibbana more as a, as a, a practice than uh, just a goal to obtain. Uh, so that's one way, certainly, to, to present it. I, I brought my computer because this morning I was reading on this and there's so many amazing uh, teachings and quotes from the Buddha and uh, that and I'm not very good with quote usually like I get all lost in the <laughs> papers and like usually I just give up on this and I just flow freely but I thought that the words of the Buddha might have more depth than my <laughs> own. <laughs> I thought it's, it's worth actually bringing the, uh, the computerized Buddha here and see what... Um, so, oh, so in terms of etymology, I, I was just reading this again. And so nirvana, near would uh, be a negation. So no and vana, craving. Right. There's another wo a word that we use in the second noble truth is what is the cause 
of our suffering is tanha, the thirst, the wanting to be or become. We talked about this the last time. So we uh, sometimes we want to have, to experience something. There's this wanting, oh, if I get this in my life. Tune, tune in in the way uh, I invite you to recognize uh, what's true for you right now. Like when I say, there's this thing that I really want and I'll be happy when I, I'll have this, this craving or thirst. When I get this, when I get seen by this person in this way or when I get that particular thing, you know, like the, the kids for Christmas, you know, like I know what I want, you know, I know what will make me happy. They don't know that it's going to make them happy for about 20 seconds, you know, but like, wanting something or wanting to be so wanting to have maybe wanting to be and wanting to not be that is often happening in our life I don't want to be this person like this physically or mentally or like this we we want to die to this aspect of our personality or we want to die we don't want to be in the circumstances we are in I don't want to be this person who has to find a new job I don't want to be this person who has to take care of that situation. Do you recognize this? This happens daily, no? We don't want to be. And sometimes we want to be. We w- and they come often together. I want to be somebody. So in, in a way, the nirvana is also described as the end of becoming, of wanting to become or have. It's the end of this. It's the lending as we do in practice. The practice is the path, but it's also an expression of awakening. When we sit here, we stop wanting to be somebody else or be in different circumstances. We say, we take this radical stance. We say, let me be here in the middle of this life like that. Not the other life where there wouldn't be this. or that. Let me be in the middle of that confusion. or mi- Let me be in the middle of that thing that is disappearing, that I feel is disappearing. Let me be in the middle of that whatever it is, exactly this now, even if it's nothing happening, let me be exactly here, not wish for a different mind state, a different being, and so, and maybe that's something we learn how to do that. But the kind of premise is that the depth of... um, Words are, are hard here, like the depth of well-being. Yeah, maybe that's a way to word it. The more we discover that we actually can totally be in this body-mind, these circumstances, that it's possible for us to totally be in this life exactly as it is right now, the more we discover this, the more empowered we feel, the more free we feel. Because imagine... And that's our case a lot of the time. We feel that our freedom, our well-being, is in a different something else that we can't control, that we can't actually totally be assured that we're going to get or ex- we're going to get to experience. It's really creating, I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but it's creating a gap like where actually happiness is unreachable. Because if happiness is there in this thing that I cannot actually completely control or be sure it's going to happen, do you see the stress arising? Oh my God, my happiness is there. Am I going to be able to get there? You know, it seems like it's just within hand reach. <laughs> but something prevents it, you know. Social norms, uh, privilege, lack of privilege, uh, I don't know what, but uncontrollability of events, you know, makes it not, you know, totally accessible. And once I get it, sometimes it's like, oh, again, it's there, but for how long? And who will come after it, you know? And how is it going to be threatened, you know? So that's a lot of how we live, thinking that it's over there. If I get there, I'll be fine, you know? And in this practice, we learn to actually embody exactly what's happening now, be in these circumstances. And we discover that, wow, Amazing, I can actually be free in these circumstances. My belief was otherwise. I really thought I need to have something else to be happy. Once we get there, 
actually it doesn't people often like the f one of the first reaction that will come to mind to people is like oh but then I'll become kind of um, amorph you know like uh, amorphous or like like I'll be just like a kind of a dissociated Buddhist thing you know that <laughs> is like is not going forward in life doesn't have visions and projects and direction you know and and is not building stuff well it's, it's actually not true is that one can be totally where they are and without this clinging, this craving mind, just out of wisdom, recognize, wow, this would be a great thing to create. Let's put all our energy in that direction. Without, oh my God, if it doesn't happen, and it has to happen, and, you know, just being, uh, having a clarity of mind, wow, there's energy in here, there's capacities, abilities, you know, let's put them, let's use them, you know. So, <coughs> specifically, it says here, what is the, um, the absolute, which is a word that is described. Oh, maybe I could give you a, f a number of other words that are uh, used to describe this. Really hard to, to describe because it seems like our whole language, that's how often how it's te taught, so the whole language is, has been constructed, conceptualized from a place of non-Nibbana. You know? And so the whole language seems to, to, is used to describe things that we want to obtain, etc. But some of the words that are used that you see through all the different speeches of the Buddha are the unfashioned, the end, the effluent-less, the true, the beyond, the subtle, the very hard to see, the ageless, the permanent, mm -hmm. the undecaying, the surfaceless, mm -hmm. the non-objectification, it's this, this really wide, huh? <laughs> the peace, the deathless, the exquisite, bliss, solace, the exhaustion of craving, the wonderful, the marvelous, the secure, the security, the unafflicted, the passionless, in the sense the craving, you know, not passionate about life, not, not drab, but not the, this particular thing that it's pointing to, the clinging mind, the pure, the release, the non-attached, the island, shelter, harbor, refuge, um, etc. So very wide, uh, broad uh, description in these words. But one very classic that I, I would like to deconstruct a little bit is this one here. So what is the absolute? It is the in extinction of desire, of hatred, and the extinction of delusion. This is called the absolute. So we see right there that it's not something to obtain. Huh? It's the extinction of something. It's the end of something. One image that is used is the blowing of a candle. Fire gone. You know, cooling off. Yeah. Maybe if the Buddha had lived in a weather more like here, it would have been <laughs> described as warm. <laughs> but because he was in a different environment, maybe that was the right uh, image to use. But so it's not something to gain; it's something to remove. To me, it's extremely important to know this. So, what is in this mind? In this mind, there's confusion. So there's a desire, like a belief that when I get this, I'm going to be happy. Do you recognize? This is, in this culture, in, the, in our society, in the dominant culture, I would say, this is promoted as happiness. When you get this, you know, the archetypal get is the flat screen TV, you know. So kind of like when you get that HDDDHH, <laughs> you know, like, like you're actually like thrown on the football field. <laughs> it's so real that... <laughs> you feel like you're in the in the game like when you get like we have this belief that the desire is something and then suddenly like it's so countercultural the buddha was saying i'm going against the stream here by saying it's the ap the the letting go of desire that will uh, we free us so that to me points to two important perceptions that we have about things that in the practice are meant to be clarified. So two perceptions are 
One is this perception of satisfaction, that when we see things that we think that something will be completely satisfying, when I get to that, I don't know, weight, when I get to, uh, you know, be that person who's like so confident and intelligent, <laughs> I don't know what, you know what, <laughs> we have something we're projecting, when I get that career, that I'll be really happy. If I get that amount of, I don't know what, income or that person in my life, I'll be really happy. So there's a projection. That's what we could call delusion. Human beings tend to project on things satisfaction. In the Buddhist uh, thought, it's very radical. It says nothing of this world can satisfy completely. It's too much to demand from something that arises from condition that is shaky because it can seize at any time. It's too, way too much. It's false expectations. This projecting, believing, uh, looking for uh, satisfaction is crazy. And once one pays attention and knows that nothing is going to satisfy completely, um, when one is able to see this for themselves, to even consider it a few seconds, because often we'll hear this, oh my God, this is so pessimistic. I don't want, okay, or I'll take it for most of the things, but not. <laughs> that, that will really satisfy me. You know? <laughs> don't touch this, you know, everything. Otherwise, everything crumbles. I'm going to be in a complete depression, you know. And the Buddhist teaching is saying, actually, no. If you get really realistic, if in your heart you're allowed to consider, and maybe with your attention you get to actually discover that truth, that nothing is entirely satisfying, then your heart will relax. The sure heart's release. Ah, of course it couldn't provide because it was impermanent, shaky. Yeah? So... Nibbana is getting re rid of this illusion or delusion that this is going to satisfy me. When I get to be like this or be seen like this or have that, can you make it personal for yourself a little bit somewhere in your life? And you're thinking like, no. <laughs> Not for that thing. And it's good. I want you to, to like, don't believe me. But pay attention because since chances are at some point and you know I had a partner with whom I was for 10 years and it was impermanent <laughs> but uh, delightful man we had uh, we had a beautiful relationship for a long time and we were both practitioner and it was really funny because we were always the word for um, unsatisfaction as we saw is dukkha you know like the incapacity to satisfy and the word for anicca for uh, impermanence is anicca in Pali and so with Anthony Every time, you know, there would be like a little dissatisfaction or a big one that would come. One of us would say, Anicca. Like, <laughs> okay, this is, we really like that, but it's finished. You know, or we would say, Dukkha. <laughs> With a really like a funny little voice to say like, of course, you know, of course it was not going to last. Because it, it couldn't. You know, conditions came together. Wow, it was really right beautiful and then oops one of the condition change and the whole thing starts to crumble slowly you know and so to actually see this is an expression of liberation nibbana it's liberating to say oh oh i was i was under the spell and sometimes it's called disenchantment huh? being disenchanted like you're under a spell the spell of, yeah this will really satisfy you and suddenly you discover oh no it couldn't it couldn't, at any level, it couldn't satisfy. What is of the world? Be, of the world is something that is fabricated by something else. You know, like us, we were fabricated by our parents, <laughs> you know? So we can't be satisfying. Like, the image of, like, me, I could be perfect, you know, the perfect daughter or son or parent. or the, Of course not. Who has succeeded in being a perfect daughter or son or parent who show me one <laughs> if they have they're pretty deluded <laughs> i say because it's not possible 
It's not possible. It, the condition, the nature, the nature of the of this universe, of this realm, is doesn't allow this to be true. It cannot be, because there will be, you know, and even if you're perfect, you'll be misunderstood <laughs> in your intentions, you know, and there will be hurt. You know, even if you don't want to hurt, there will be hurt because somebody will get it wrong because they're confused while you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is pretty amazing. So it's the Nibbana, not something to obtain, but something to remove, remove a delusion, the, the projection, the idea that it should be, could be, will be satisfying, that it will be permanent, that it will stay, that will stay. When I get that, it will stay. It will not stay. Whatever the that is, put something else there, and it's not except the absence of delusion. And so in this practice, we say that um, in the, the whole system of uh, Buddhist practice is uh, it's divided, in, you could divide it in three uh, ways of being. So ethical conduct is one. The development of a calm mind, concentration, is a second one. And the other one is wisdom. What we're talking about today is wisdom. So in a way... To think about this is to say, I understand that there's, there's this delusion here, this confusion in this being. So I'm going to have an ethical conduct so that my one thing to get things will be at least ethical. I'm not going to lie and steal and hurt to get stuff because I know that I'll be caught by the belief that something will be satisfying. So at least I'm going to make a prevention so I don't hurt so many people around. So I'm, I'll... I'll commit to an ethical conduct, not to lie in order to get, you know. Then I'll calm the mind. So when I calm the mind and I sit, I'll get to experience moments where the mind is not desiring something else. So I'll experience momentary calmness, absence of desire, and I can actually feel into this. And then I'll develop my wisdom, that's this, to uproot the delusion, the projection, the possibility even to project do you see what I mean? So it's not just calming the mind momentarily, but being so attentive that I can see here and there, oh yeah, it was not going to provide, you know. It was not going to provide. I did get the, whatever, the holiday, but it's finished. Of course it couldn't provide completely. Not to deny the um, pleasantness, the, uh, what's the word, uh, gratification, you know, the enjoyment. There's a lot of things to enjoy that will provide good taste, good sounds, a mixture of them, etc. They will, but they're shaky. Yeah? So to get rid of uh, the desire, there's some desires that are really wholesome. What I'm talking about is this one that has a grip in it, like I need this absolutely, like, yeah? Or it needs this, my happiness, like that, pr that creates a sense of lack. So when you have a desire, look at that uh, with attention. Oh, is that desire creating lack? And often what seems to be talking about happiness is an experience, creates an experience of lack. Do you see what I mean? I need this, my happiness is over there. What's the actual experience here? Lack, fragmentation. I'm fragmented from freedom, from fullness, from, uh, because it's over there. You know? So... That's kind of a device that is it's kind of like the perfect frustrating device. Desire something that is not here, you're frustrated. Yeah. Hatred, so extinction, what is Nibbana? Extinction of desire, of craving like this, extinction of hatred and extinction of delusion. They're kind of related together. But one of the ways we could talk about the extinction of uh, hatred is first to notice how costly it is for us, you know, how disturbing it is in, in, this, in this mind, uh, how it will affect uh, heart rate and affect uh, immune system maybe, or affect, uh, you know, how painful it is. So just that, because often in hatred, we're focused on the object of our hatred. Or maybe we, the only thing we kind of uh, are under the spell of is the pleasantness of it, the gratification in it. I hate you because I'm better than you when you're worse, you know, or some, there's something in it that might be a little juicy in there. Yeah? But the more we pay attention, the more we can see how it's away from well-being. 
how it creates obsession, how in extreme anger or hatred we'll forget what is even lawful, you know, and we'll uh, forget our uh, values and we'll uh, ourselves become uh, aggressive and violent people in ways, maybe in little words, maybe in absence of words, cold shouldering, etc. You know, how we can harm, we'll start harming in hatred, not exactly who we want to be or how we want to think of ourselves. You know? So just noticing this, um, the classic example is of, uh, in anger we say it's like grabbing a hot coal, no? To throw at somebody. And at some point you're like, oh my God, I'm not sure I'm going to actually reach the person, but that is burning, yeah? So that. But also, I think uh, in hatred might be not just for somebody, but uh, rejecting, like hating the circumstances we're in or hating the fact that there's no more of this at the grocery when I really wanted papaya, I don't know. (coughs) You know, like any like reactivity is to me pointing to one specific part of wisdom, which is the recognition, that's very important, the recognition that this realm, this reality, how it functions, is uh, it's conditional. Things happen when the conditions are right. And so often in reactivity, we just want something to not exist, to not have happened. We forget that it actually is happening because all the conditions were there for exactly this to happen. It might be a dis-ease, it might be a circumstance in your society, culture, uh, neighborhood, but there's a deeper deeper way that we can uh, receive reality, understanding, wow, all the conditions led to this. There was that amount of ignorance, that amount of craving, that amount of whatever it is that led to exactly where we are right now, inside moi, or inside the other, or between us, you know. All the conditions led to this. This is, it's not so much acceptance as recognition of the nature of reality. So that one can release some of like, I don't want this, I don't want this to happen. Of course, of course it's happening. Everything led to this. Now, response. What can we do about this? Do you see what I mean? Instead of hating something, just recognizing everything concurred for this to get like that. Inside of me, like if there's something you hate about yourself, there's a lack of wisdom there. Because it's not deserving of hatred, it's, ex- it's deserving of being recognized there. Oh, there is this arrogance, there is this lack of confidence, there is this reactivity, this impatience that gets acted out regularly. There's a, there's a possibility to recognize that something is there, not hate it, recognize everything, the whole story of the universe contributed to this being there here now. Now, let's be, re- let be, res- let's be responsible and recognize that it's there and do something about this. This has been coming together because of conditions, and if we change the conditions, it will undo. Some conditions we have control over, many we don't. So wisdom, Nibbana, is the capacity to remember uh, that things are conditional. And it, intellectually it can go just to a certain point. Why we practice insight, meditation, why we sit, why we become silent and pay attention, which is not in the world of thoughts and thinking, it's experiential, is to have these insights, to see, feel in real time how conditions uh, come together, to, ex- to sit there and see how a sound triggers a reaction. Oh, my God! The reaction is triggered by the sound. The, m- the memory landed, the heart sank. You know, like it, if the memory had not come, the heart would not have sank. And then suddenly there's taking things a little bit less personally, we get out of me and othering and things like this, and we put the glasses more and more. That's what insight is called, maybe. is understanding, oh, my God, everything led to this feeling, I don't know, isolated, solitude, loneliness right now. Everything concurred to this. 
And it's not like, let me hate this and want it out. No, this is conditional. What conditions are going to make this release a bit? Maybe applying a little bit of compassion, of care, instead of hating and again fragmenting even more this being that feels already separated. Oh, maybe coming closer, maybe meeting this loneliness with care. Oh, maybe out of this will be a feeling of more fullness, of completeness, of attending, of being there, of connectedness. Wow, still no one around? And suddenly I don't feel lonely so much because I'm finding what are the conditions that will make this release. You know, hatred, apparently, in the teaching at least it says, never being a good option, <coughs> never leading to well-being for one or for another. <coughs> so... Nibbana being the end of delusion is basically saying it's the end of projecting, perceiving uh, satisfaction in stuff, like complete durable satisfaction. Uh, it's the end of uh, thinking that things are permanent, that will I will get to this and it will be stabilized. You know, it'll be secured, uh, comfortable forever. You know. Not, not in this realm. So, in a way, we have um, to do some kind of mourning. Is that the way to say that? Mm -hmm. Letting go of this can comes with some sadness. Oh my God! You know, I remember one of my friends at the end of a retreat. She said to me, "Wow, like I've been so invested in chocolate, and I was so paying attention. Like at some point, I really understand that I understood that chocolate was never going to do it." <laughs> she was both freed freed from the spell of chocolate you know but there was also like kind of, kind of a like bittersweet in a way she was like oh my god like I've invested a lot in chocolate cake chocolate dark chocolate milk chocolate all the versions and I in this retreat after like a week of practice I can clearly say chocolate is not going to do it you know uh, but also she was freed from that which was there was suddenly a sense of humor it was like oh my god I had this little mistake in my mind and chocolate remains exactly what it was it was not you know like it remains being chocolate but the relationship to it is different suddenly it's like oh it's actually not going to do it but then my sense is the next encounter with chocolate will be sweet because they will be like oh, of course you can't provide and let me experience your ephemerality you know like the kind of hit and you know I had something similar I remember one time I was on a long retreat and I went to walk in the woods uh, behind the retreat center and there was this completely amazing gathering of circumstances which was uh, the wind and the light and there was all these uh, different um, tourbillons different um, yeah, of snow, of big flakes with the light across the trees. The trees were like this. Visually, it was like absolutely stunning and you know you're seeing something that you're never going to see again, you know? A little bit like maybe if, if I saw beautiful um, northern lights, which I've never seen, but... Anyway, there was this and I was like, oh my God, this is like... Uh, this is a peak in the visual realm, you know, you're, this is a peak in your life, you know, yeah. And I was, I was like, wow, it is so incredibly beautiful, and it's not actually satisfying. It doesn't, it doesn't satisfy, because I would like it to stay, I would like somebody else to see it, I would like to capture it, own it, become it, uh, get closer to it, I'm already in it, you know? <laughs> but still, it, like the nature of it is that it actually cannot totally do it. And it is really amazing. And I was like, wow, even the most beautiful visual experience is not going to do it. It's not there. The answer is not there. The answer is in the relationship with the world. You know? Is there something in there? So Nibbana is not something to acquire. It's not a place to reach so much, but it's a letting go of false views in the paying attention, and they say that only meditation can do this, talking about it, actually it's not true because in the text you often hear the Buddha talking and, and it will say at the end of the discourse, and a bunch of people really got it. 
they really so there's a power of language like this of, of communication the only problem we have here today is I'm not a Buddha I'm only somebody on the path so I don't have the clarity I don't have the capacity to like reach exactly at the right point so this you know only one of you will be enlightened <laughs> <laughs> And whatever else that is going to happen is going to happen. But, but uh, in the teaching we say that the, the Buddha was teaching meditation because it is, it is a, it's giving us an instinctual access to this, a penetrative access to this, that thought can't... Thought is just too limited. It's conceptual. It cannot reach in this way. And we know this because sometimes when it's something reaches us in the heart or more in the guts, we can know, okay, that has more depth or breadth, or it's more potent. Yeah. So meditation, uh, paying attention, and that can be done on a cushion in a formal way, but it certainly needs also to be done in uh, the way we encounter life as we walk about and live, you know, and, and do our daily tasks and things we do to pay a certain attention. Uh, that is dharmic, you know, that is through the dharma eye, so that we can say like, oh, anicca, anicca, I just saw impermanence. Ah, it was satisfying and now it's not anymore. <laughs> you know, it still is kind of there, but suddenly I'm afraid. It's shaky inside. It's not so but the thing seems pretty solid, but our, oh, I got disinterested. The thing is still the same, but it doesn't do it anymore. Oh my God, like I'm reproducing exactly the same Experience, but it just doesn't provide because inwardly it's not the same. And so we pay attention in life to see like, oh, wow, didn't provide, didn't provide. And there's a kind of joy that is possible. Maybe we could call it insight joy or vipassana joy. If suddenly things don't provide, but strangely enough, it brings you happiness because there's a recognition of the nature of reality. Oh, yeah, of course it couldn't. Oh my God, this is so touching. Mm-hmm. It's so in line with the teaching. It's true. It's liberating. I live in a world now that I have more clarity. Before I expected, and I was all... And now I'm like, of course it couldn't. I'm at ease with this. I have uh, acceptance for the nature of things. You know. Oh, of course it's conditional, and now I don't have... I cannot control the conditions. I cannot control the thoughts of somebody else. Of course I can't. Ah, yeah, right, this is how it is. So I'm not going to get overworked with that, you know, because I can't control it. We see that there's a lot of practice there that is uh, maybe needed or welcome, certainly, to touch this. Any questions or comments or objections? (laughs) Well, in the past week I've lost my glasses, (laughs) and... um, I have, uh, I have two other pairs of glasses in the house, but I panic. And I also, and then I lost my date, my calendar. And I, I don't, I'm just trying to figure out what, why, why I panic, because I could get another calendar. I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah. So in this practice, then we would just see, um, you know, if, as you feel the panic coming, Maybe just allow it to be known a bit. So not so much like, why, 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 but like, oh, panic, how does it feel? You know, like this discomfort in relationship to the absence of the calendar. or so, You know, how does that feel? Oh, it presses on the heart, my love. And so bringing caring attention to the experience in the moment. So it's, it's, and there might be a belief, you know, that you actually need this or that there's a, that a wish. Or that I'm not there. That I wasn't there, and I, I, I left. Yeah. I think it's. I think that's. Yeah. That's so. You weren't there. Yeah. yeah. And so you're. You are. You are unsatisfying to yourself. <laughs> Everything's in order. You know, it was not possible to be perfectly there all the time. It's just not the nature of this reality. Human beings can't. So they'll forget things. You know, and and so in a way, bringing acceptance to the. Oh my God! Of course, and it. You know what? It might happen again. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's touching like this. It's wow. And these days, I'm, you know, often I, I, this comes to mind for some reason. I'm thinking a class is finished. And, I'm, and I think, 
wow, I actually know how to get back to my place. You know, I know I, I have, uh, I, I might not remember the name of people and phone number, but I remember how to get back to my place. This is not me exactly. That's not mine. It's circumstantial. One day I might not remember, be able to remember how to get back to my place. You know, that's that delicate life is. Can, can I actually let this sink in, Pascal? You know, because of an accident or because of something else that could happen in the course of a life, I might actually one day not be able to remember how to get back to my place. That is not a given. That's not me. That's not mine to own and describe myself like like I can't be that fool to think that this is a given, you know. It's not a given. It's just the circumstances are such that I can't remember how to get back to my place. But even that little thing that we take for granted and solid and permanent and this is shaky. It's not to make us panic about it, it's to actually let it sink in and say, Wow. So again, that's a huge practice to actually be okay with that. Wow, this is the nature of this reality. I'm not going to control memory. Proof being, don't know where the calendar is, you know. And, uh, you know, whatever else, the, the umbrella, the gloves, or just one of the gloves. <laughs> you know? And so that's really the nature of this reality. We can't totally control it. Can that be okay? And that may be okay all, uh, but can that be okay now? Can that be okay now? You know, can, can that be okay that it's even disturbing? So what I'm inducing here, if that's the right verb, is uh, a little compassion, a little acceptance. Ah, this is how it is. We lose calendars, we lose glasses, we actually lose stuff. This is exactly, in o everything is in order in a way. And this is how it's going to be. And so, to me, through this example, what it shows also that it's the heart's release. The heart can open in the middle of reality, in the re middle of like, wow, I don't have control over calendar. I don't have perfect control over it. It's there, then it's not. And you would think it's totally localizable. <laughs> you can localize it, you know. But no, it's not there. Wow. Things do appear and disappear. Wow. So using just that thing to open the heart. And then it becomes a vehicle, if that's the way to say it, towards uh, uh, peace of mind you know, rather than stress. I wanted to ask you about the hate. Hate, yeah. The hate, yeah. And I think, if I understood you correctly, your feeling, the feeling of hate come up. It's not for us to try to understand why do I hate this person or what is it that's caused this hate. Are you suggesting that we should be bringing a different attitude to mm -hmm. the hate so that it's not so <laughs> hateful yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or not so frightening or yeah. not so aversive? Or yeah, yeah. Is, am I understanding that? Or mm. is um, I would say in terms of practice, like I find myself being uh, hateful, you know, or resentful. At least it could be good for me to know that it's not going to lead to my well-being. So if not, I'm not that fooled, you know, and I'm like, okay, so there is hate present. I can actually let it go completely. You know, it's not just like, okay, I'm not going to hate anymore. I'm going to love. You know, it, uh, it doesn't work exactly like this. You know, there's hate is being produced, and it's... Uh, Maybe it's inhabiting me more than I'm choosing it, you know. Like, so at least, unless I have like little spins, you know, I'm not gonna nurture this. So that would be already something wise to do to recognize it's probably not gonna help me so much. So, and again, this one has to be convinced of this, you know, because one could believe like I'm gonna keep hating you, and you know, you, you know. And so for myself, already to recognize, okay, Pascal, there is hate, but let's not feed it. Not, let's not judge ourselves for it either. Like, you're bad, you hate, you shouldn't be a hateful person. There is hate. So it's not that, it's not that personal. Conditions were such that now we're in the middle of hate here. You know? So how to accompany oneself in the middle of it? 
the thing that we suggest here is being fully conscious, mindful, mindful of hate. There is a lot of reactivity, hate or anything else, you know, fear, uh, you know, uh, despair, etc. Oh, so there is despair, yeah, there is hate here, there is uh, reactivity here. Let's be fully aware of it. And so the mind is not so much entranced in the story and it's them and they did that or it's me and I hate myself. Eh? It's more like, oh, hate. It's waking up in it. Oh, we're in the middle of hate. Oh, my God, it makes heart pound. It makes face uh, hot, you know, just to become interested in the phenomena rather than under the spell of it, yeah? <coughs> and then in this way, maybe we'll see that, oh, it eases. It has a wave-like nature. There's a wave that came with the memory of mm-hmm. words being said or not said. Or, mm-hmm. And then it has a wave-like nature. And I, and I can see this, and oh, now it has appeased a little bit. And now that I think about it... <laughs> It just comes back, you know. <laughs> and so to learn to accompany it, to allow it to be there, but not feed it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of what we call the middle path. I'm not saying, no, I'm not ang- angry. It's fine. It's all fine. <laughs> so denial of being an extreme, and the other extreme is feeding it, acting on it, you know. And we go for the middle path. We're like, I'm going to be really awake, really conscious that there is hate here. And it's actually very troubling for one being to be in hate. Maybe having compassion for for oneself. It's hard, Pascal. You're really worked up right now. This is really hard because you want to get rid of it by lashing out, by collapsing, by disappearing. You know, none of this is happening. You're still <laughs> sitting in the middle of hate, you know, and reactivity. Let's accompany this with as much care and stability of mind as possible. So keep inviting, you know, inviting, and then. And then one of the things that I was pointing to that is not easy to get, but is that whatever the person did, whatever I did, conditions were such that this is what happened. You know? Wow. This is what happened. This, per- you know? Uh, I remember doing something really stupid when I was already an adult, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. And for many years I was hating myself for it. And one day I understood this. Oh. But at that, like, hating myself is not going to help in any way anybody. Mm. It's a useless loss of energy, damaging, you know. At that time, there was that amount of greed in the mind, that amount of confusion about where happiness lied, was to be found. And so, of course, there was a lot of energy being youthful. There was a lot of energy going towards greed and acquiring. And so... Values went out of the window, you know, uh, lies were told. Of course, everything led to this. You know, this this is how it was. Now I have the capacity to see this clearly, you know. I don't need to hate this being. I can see that they were deluded. They were under the spell of something, and they did create damage. Is there something that can be fixed or not? Can there at least be an intention not to act like this anymore, you know, and a recognition that actually would not be possible anymore? So, so oh, the conditions were such for this to have happened, you know. Certain Yeah, recognition that that's how it, you know. So we tend to, let's say, associate actions, actions that are unwise will mix them, will identify a person by actions. When what we really hate, maybe, is the actual hurt and the, the actions. And then we'll forget that the person can change, that the person, uh, you know, has a history behind them that leads them to do what they do. They have chemicals in their brain that functions in a certain way, you know. And we make it a person. And it's difficult for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is not easy work. Just as you know, I'm listening yeah. to you. <laughs> yes. yes. So maybe a last uh, yes. question comes. Um, I realize from the, uh, the, the the three truths that we have seen that the first one we said dukkha, yeah. suffering, and the second one is craving. Yeah. But when I I now I look back, I say, well, they are the same. Yeah. They're, yeah, you could say that. They're the same. Or one causes the other. The craving yeah. causes the suffering that will en- ensue. ensue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah? 
there's many ways to present these and to experience them also. So the best way, and we'll finish with this, is to actually bring careful attention to how it unfolds in our life because it's constantly playing out, you know, so we may as well be awake to it. So, uh, so it's five o'clock. Thank you very much for your attention. And uh, yeah, so I hope that you could get a little feeling for Nibbana as the extinction of, uh, of delusion, of uh, ignorance, of uh, confusion about the world. Yeah. And so let's work on this this week. Small little job. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.